And hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Inscriber Four Box News podcast. Joining me as always, my name is Daniel from the Inscriber. Joining me as always, the one two punch of fourboxnews.com. Joe and Francis, how are you guys doing today? Doing really good. Great. Yes, now we missed a couple of big fight weekends. So we're going to try to tackle these as much as we can. Now, first, let's go back two weeks where we had basically four big cards going into it. All of them were somewhat decent, except for obviously one. Now, out of the last week, which was the best card for you guys? Like the best main event that you saw two weeks ago? So we had Pacquiao and uh, Ugas last weekend. No, no, two to... weeks ago. Two weeks ago. Like, what, what, weeks was, what were the fights? I'm trying to remember. God, it's only yeah, two weeks back. Yeah, oh, right. it was. I know. I know it was Virg. My vote was like for Virgil versus Mean Machine. Yes. Okay. We had uh, that was. I think we had Casim. Yeah, we had Casimiro versus Rigo. Definitely was not that one. Was, that's yeah. the one with the, the, the total combined punches of like 90 punches. It was like ridiculous. Yeah. Some ridiculous number. Well, that was an uneventful fight, so it definitely was not that one. <laughs> and then there was one more good one, right? Yeah, and on top rank, you had the Maloney brothers fighting. Uh, it was Jason Maloney fighting Greer Franco. and your brother fighting Joshua Franco. All of those, like we mentioned, all of those except for the Casimiro fight were actually pretty good. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I have actually really enjoyed the Virgil Ortiz versus, I can't pronounce his name correctly, the Mean Machine. I thought that was a great fight. It really showcased Virgil Ortiz's skill um, and his composure in the fight against somebody that was very aggressive, um, older, more experienced fighter. Uh, I think he definitely has a bright future in the sport of boxing. That would to me, yeah, Joe, I would have to agree on that, on that one with Francis. That to me was the major fight because a lot of questions about Virgil that people still had were answered in that fight. Like, how could he handle a punch? Uh, would he overcorrect if he stumbles in areas? And he passed the tests and wound up finishing Mean Machine one round. But. He did show a lot of poise and a lot of good instincts under pressure when they came to that fight. But I'm not going to have people sleep on, the, on that Maloney-Franco fight. That was actually a really good fight, too. Oh, Maloney lost that fight. He ended up losing, and then he was kind of tearful right after the fight. Because that was the third sad. fight. The That's first right. fight, he loses. He's, he's here with his brother during COVID. And that was supposed to be his big ESPN shot, and he loses. He gets the rematch last fall. I think it was in the fall. Yeah. And then was winning the fight in, like, the third round. There's a headbutt. Franco's, Franco says he can't continue. So then that's a no contest. And here it is, the, the third fight, where he finally gets his moment where to get his win, and he comes up just short. Yeah, heartbreaking for him. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. But that, that was a good fight. Yeah, and that was when we previewed it. I know I said I had to go off the first fight because there, there wasn't enough in the in the second fight because the way it ended to go around. And Franco did exactly what he had to do. And one thing I do have to note on that fight, 
replay worked fantastically in that fight. I think it was in the seventh round where Franco wound up slipping while Maloney threw a punch, initially called a knockdown. Franco says, that was knockdown. He never touched me. And right between the rounds, it didn't have to take 30 minutes like it did in Vegas. Right between the rounds, they looked at the footage and reset. For his credit, said, nope, made a mistake. I'm calling off the knockdown. I think that helped Franco mentally a lot, not, not thinking that he would be down in the cards in that sense. But all the good fights, obviously. We can make jokes all day about Casimir and Rigondeaux. But <laughs> I couldn't believe that. I was watching the highlights of the fight. I like to tune into the highlights on YouTube afterwards. And it's funny because, you know, they come, they just comprise a bunch of the highlights to make one video. And I was like, oh, that actually looks like a pretty good fight just based off of the highlights. But then when I read that there was a combined number of punches thrown, like of 95 punches, I was like, that's it? Just <laughs> 95 punches? <sighs> Like, oh, they must have had a hard time making this video. Or maybe that maybe they didn't. They're probably just like, well, <laughs> we all know when there were punches thrown because it only happened like twice in the fight. So <laughs> well, but yeah. Okay. In that video where where it's the word highlights in parentheses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> highlights of combined 95 punches. <laughs> well, that does raise the question actually, but when it came to judging, obviously this I think this was, I forgot what it was. I think it was the, it was either unanimous or split decision. Victor, victory for Casimiro. No, no, it was unanimous. Now I remember. And, but he didn't really do enough to, in a lot of some people's eyes, to warrant that. When some people thought that Regal won just because Casimiro didn't knock him out. Mm-hmm. At this age, if you saw this rigging down and you saw how Ronnie Shields was pleading for him to actually throw something and his attitude at the end of the fight, do you think this rigging down shows up if he gets the Donaire rematch that Donaire seemingly wants? Do I think the rigging down who's... uh... Just very conservative. I, I don't know that he's going to get the Donaire fight now after that performance. I don't, I, I think. Uh, just make it into a three round fight. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, that's been Rigondeaux's problem his whole career is yeah. that he's too passive and not fan friendly. And he's got moments where he can, you know, they look exciting and knock people out. But then every time he gets a big fight, it turns into a 12 round stinker where it's, and the Casemiro fight was was no different. And, you know, I, I think uh, Rigando, as talented as he is, has just blown so many opportunities and burned bridges with, all, with the fans who want to support him and get bored to tears watching him box. I think the ultimate irony was the fact that he had this fight in StubHub. Mm-hmm. How many how many historic brawls have been in Subhub? And then here he is with with you know the, one of the lowest action fights in history. Yep. And I say if I was, we will I will remain calling this Stubhub. I do not care if its name is Dignity Health something. 
and as much as Mar Ronaldo wants to try it, like you cannot christen it the punch bowl. <laughs> <laughs> but like I said, those were like I said, made some of the fights. I mean, it came a lot, few stinkers, but obviously, then last Saturday happened, and not just to not so much to delay. <laughs> But to make sure Francis is ready for all the questions. (laughs) I've had time to warn Dan. I can hold it together. I'll be okay. (laughs) (laughs) But based from that undercard, because I know there was one really, one decent fight on the undercard in the prelim. Oh, yes. We had one good knockout, and then we had another fight that just made me chuckle that it that it was there <laughs> now from the undercard alone like i said did you guys see any standout fights among the undercard oh definitely mark moxayo versus julio seha that was the that was the fight that did it for me i thought that was the fight of the night um seha was very game i was surprised uh with the outcome because it looked like Seha was going to get the win. Um, Mark Boxeo, he was just trying to work the outside of the ring to avoid that punishment uh, and then came back with those awesome straight left hands or straight right hands, I can't, uh, straight left hands, just finishing him off. And I wasn't at all expecting that. So it was a great win, especially for the Filipino audiences. I really enjoyed that fight. It was insanely competitive. I I, I loved it. It was, there, there was no... Short of short shortage of any action. What did you think of that? What did you think of that fight, Joe? Like, just from <coughs> the way it was going to the way it ended. Yeah, well, Mark Sayo started out doing okay, but then Seha was going to the body and was just walking down uh, Mark Sayo, and, and I really thought that it was Seha was on his way to a victory, and then. I can't remember if it was round seven, eight, or nine, but I, I don't know what happened with Max Ayo, but he, he grew a pair and, like, gave it to Seha. Caught him. He did, like, because he was backing up. The, the rounds before that, he was he was backing up, not running, but he was definitely not trying to engage. And he finally put that back foot down and said, no, I'm not running anymore, and then landed a few shots on Seha. And then the way he finished it was beautiful because he hurt Seha, went in, and then Seha's up against the ropes, and then Maxeo just comes in and destroys Seha with a punch. And as soon as it landed, you saw the way that Seha fell to the ground. You knew it was over. Uh, I, I thought it was a great win for Maxeo. I thought it was a, a real gut check time because I, I think the three or four rounds before that knockout came, I thought he was he was losing, and as each round was going, it was getting worse and worse. And give credit to him because he 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 turned it around. Not a lot of fighters can do that when they're getting hit to the body and and walked down. And it seemed like Moxeo was having a hard time just keeping Seha off him. And then he he said, "I'm putting this back foot down. I'm planting my foot, and I'm just throwing." And uh, and it worked. That's I love that with boxing when a guy's losing and able to make a comeback and score a knockout. Oh my God, that was an amazing right hand. That was crazy. 
beautiful knockout. That was a beautiful knockout. Contender for knockout of the year. This is like one of those scary ones where you just hope the guy like wakes up. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, say hello done after that one. Mm-hmm. But I do have to. You do have to take into account. Seha will not relent. Like you have to do that to him in order to stop. And it was yeah, kind of the same so thing. Yeah, and it was kind of the same thing. Like with like the first fight, Carlos Castro versus Oscar Escandon. Like you have to do what he did to Escandon later on to win. But actually, really good fight. And the only major stinker in that card. In the undercard was the coming event. Obviously, Robert Guerrero versus Victor Ortiz. A, a turn back to Fox fight. Mm-hmm. I thought I thought I was watching boxing in like 2008 again. I didn't even know that there was going to be. I didn't even know that fight was going to be on the card. Um, it was pretty interesting because I, you know, earlier on in their careers, they were they were interesting to watch. Somebody, I forgot who dug it up. I forgot who dug it up, but they dug up an article from 2013. I think it was after after Robert Guerrero lost to Floyd. That they said like a possible fight could be between Guerrero and Ortiz. That was the last time it was mentioned. So <laughs> eight years in the making somewhat. But it didn't look terrible but we're, I'm kind of grading on a curve here considering we've seen like, like we all know that the last the best days of Robert Guerrero have long passed and mm-hmm. Victor Ortiz is, is Victor Ortiz at this point like I, he's a walk you know, he's unfortunately a walking CTE case mm-hmm. I'm with you Dan I, I thought neither guy looked bad but I, I neither one showed me anything to make me think they could be like a serious contender for any belt yeah now, definitely. now obviously like i said they mentioned this as a crossroads fight and unfortunately like i said none of them got dealt enough punishment where you could think that they would retire what? no they'll probably continue fighting and right. if that's the case, where how where how can you see them being used by the PBC, particularly Ortiz? Ortiz, the one thing Ortiz does is he does get people's attention. He does. Um, I, I can see the PBC throwing him in there, keeping him on the card, and like like the co-feature on the undercard, and just having him fight people, maybe young and upcomers. Mm-hmm. With Guerrero, I think it's a little bit different because there was a. After Guerrero lost to Floyd, it seemed like the PBC put Guerrero in there with every good welterweight, and then they just all just beat him down. Um, and then it was just loss after loss after loss. Andre Berto is interested in in facing the both of them. <laughs> so He's maybe, old too. I know he was just like I I beat them both, and. Um, the responses on social media were brutal, by the way. I know we used to laugh about those Camp Birdo tweets. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, anytime Andre Birdo shows up on social media, Camp Birdo <laughs> revives. <laughs> They're so bad. So bad. Yeah. Now, to me, like, when you start to looking at it, like, hey, Robert Guerrero, 
Except he didn't look bad, but he didn't look good either. Like you could probably see him be like the step upon it to like somebody like Gerald, like Putsanis. Be like the guy, okay, here's a guy that's actually been a world champion. And hopefully then you'll see if you can dispatch him quickly, then hype him up for the fight. Honestly, if Ortiz is going to fight again, there's we all know there's only one fight people want. Brandon Rios? Mm-hmm. Oh, I, t- I totally watched that fight. I love the heated rivalry and the immense dislike between the both of them. It's so personal, and I just, you know, the bad blood helps to promote that fight, if it actually ever happens. Well, that's the main thing, if it actually does happen, because if we, if Ortiz is bad, we, we know Rios is worse, unfortunately. Worse for wear. If you see him in like in recent interviews, it, it's pretty bad. Like the slurring is there. Everything mm. that tells you that he sustained a lot of damage is there. But like I said that's that's the only fight you would ever want to see Victor Ortiz involved in. And who knows who knows if they'll if they're able to do it. Hopefully not. But now that we focused on that, let's go to the main event. After winning the title from Keith Thurman and then being stripped of the title, Manny Pac-Man Pacquiao challenges champion Jurgis Ugas WBA Baltimore title. Now, before we're talking to the actual fight, I know a lot of the talk was how Pacquiao looked in training camp. Like how... Uh, he was doing everything right. First, you, Joe Francis, knowing what we know now, knowing what happened, how much of that do you guys think was actually hype, or is it a situation where I think one of Pac, what Pacquiao said afterwards is that he technically overtrained? Well, the it's always going to be hype leading up to the fight. They're always going to say, "Oh, it's been the best camp," and the videos they put out are always were. Pacquiao, you know, looks fast and stuff. And but Pacquiao's 42 and a full-time senator, and I'm sure he doesn't train like he used to. Francis. I think a lot of like in terms of the training, and I know that I was in touch with this camp a little bit and it they had indicated that the camp was going pretty well. And from the videos that I saw, it looked like classic Pacquiao and such. But I think once you get in the ring and you start sparring and your your legs hurt and your feet hurt, it's hard to sustain that kind of momentum when you're fighting. Um, I think it's easier to do when you're just shadow boxing or when you're hitting the bag. But you know, those typical iconic things that Pacquiao was able to do with the feints, with the, with the landing the straight left hand, getting around a longer fighter like, like Ugas. Um, those things that he used to be able to do uh, really weren't displayed in this fight. So it's not that I think it was all hype, but I'd say maybe 
you know, maybe the camp knew and they just decided to go along with it anyway, because Ugas was seemed to be a safer opponent than Spence. Um, and they didn't think that Ugas was going to give him that many, you know, that much of a problem, you know, but uh, unfortunately I think, you know, Pacquiao and father time uh, caught up with him and he wasn't able to do a lot of the iconic things that he was able to do, do before that made him very great. So I think that's what happened. I don't think it was necessarily hype, but I also think that the, his camp was confident that they were going to win. One thing that actually I know got stirred up in, at the weigh-in was like the word that Ugas injured his bicep. I think it was his, his left bicep. Okay. And I remember them taking a picture. When they showed a picture, when they sh it showed the bicep being very, very swollen. And I, I know that moved certain money lines. They moved it more towards like a Pacquiao knockout. Mm -hmm. But as it's going down here, we're going to try to break this fight down into thirds. Now, the first four rounds, given everything that's happened, what was your impression of Ugas? What was your impression of Manny in the first four rounds, Francis? In the first four rounds, I... I thought Manny still looked pretty strong just in terms of his combination punching. I think he looked very fast. It was obvious he still had the hand speed and such, but he was very flat footed. That was the first thing that I noticed. I was like, oh, you know, he's not really moving his feet too much. He's, he's pretty flat footed. Um, and he wasn't fainting as much. There wasn't a lot of this movement. It was just like straight on. Um, and I think that was really a key to taking on a, a, a more sizable, a longer fighter like Ugas, especially a Cuban fighter, because they're very slick with the jab. That in previous fights or earlier on in his career, moving like this, for Pacquiao especially, uh, is a key to kind of working working your way inside. And you didn't see that there. And I think that's why he couldn't really connect with the jab. He really couldn't work his way inside. He couldn't close the distance. Um, and that has a lot to do with you know, decline in footwork, unfortunately. Uh, the last eight rounds, I when is they expected them to go after seeing the first four rounds? It seemed like Manny was more open for punches and such. Um, he was getting hit more. He wasn't really countering as much. Before Manny would get hit, and he was just um, very, very quick to get some revenge in the ring but he would get hit he would accept it and then not really come back with anything explosive which was more his style earlier earlier on in this career so as the fight wore on i just sort of figured out that you know as spectacular as he looked earlier in his career that time had caught up with him you know and time catches up with all of us but it's extremely strange and profound to watch an athlete that you admire um, not be able to perform in ways that you're used to them for performing um, and then having to accept that all this time has passed and that an era has ended and that's sort of what I realized on Saturday night when I watched when I watched that fight I had a lot of thoughts going through my mind but I thought that Ugas he deserved to win you know he really uh, did a great job 
picking Pacquiao apart, using his jab effectively, using his length, his reach. Uh, you know, if Pacquiao fought him maybe, maybe even just a couple years ago, I'd say he still beats him by decision. And if he had fought him even earlier than that, I think he would have taken him out in the fifth or sixth round, for sure. But it's no longer Pacquiao's time, so the victory went to the right guy. Now, Joe, like I, I said, keeper the third, I know Francis went into a little bit, but I, it's probably going to answer a few questions that are going to have into this, but in the first third of the fight, the first four rounds, what were your thoughts on, as watching this fight? The first third, I had it 2-2 two, two after the after the first four rounds. I thought Pacquiao did pretty good in rounds one and three. I think uh, Ugas did pretty good in rounds two and four. And uh, the, the, I thought it was an even fight. The first, the first third of the fight, I thought it was an even fight. In the first third of the fight, this is the way I saw it in many ways because I saw it. I didn't score the fight, but what I saw was probably hesitancy on Manny's side. But I I counted to that the fact that this was such a late replacement into it, and he was going into training camp thinking that he was going to fight somebody like Errol Spence, who is more offensive-minded than Ugas is. Not as defensively sound as Ugas, but he makes up for it in the offensive input. And I thought the first four rounds were just going to be an adjustment to that. Somebody that's more defensive into that area. But as the fight went along, it went to the eighth round. And Francis, like I said, gave her thoughts in that area. But Joe, did you think at that point, like at the end, at the end of round eight, that this was the end of for Manny. Yeah, I kind of felt that way. It looked like Ugas had figured it out. He kept his hands, his his guard up, kept his hands close together, so that Manny Pacquiao couldn't sneak that straight left hand through. And uh, because of Ugas's size and, and and length, Ugas did really good with his jab, keeping Manny away. That stopped Manny Pacquiao from getting inside. You saw Manny Pacquiao get visibly frustrated. And you saw Ugas get more confidence as the rounds went on. And I think rounds four to uh, or five to eight were really telling because it just seemed like Ugas figured out, okay, I, I keep my hands up. I could make sure that straight left can't get through. I counter when Manny comes in and I keep keep that jab going so Manny can't get inside. And that was the right strategy. It worked. In that middle part, like for around the, I think it was the fifth round where Ugas got warned for a low punch, right? He threw it in the Manny's midsection. And I thought, okay, maybe he's sensing that Manny's turning on. He's going to try some of the Cuban school tricks to keep everything up. But then one thing that I noticed then is the legs weren't there for Manny. A lot of what Manny does depends upon his legs. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm sure that's because of the age. Because for years we saw his footwork, and even though maybe it wasn't the most classically boxing footwork, but he just had a way of getting inside and, like, creating angles and getting that. He was so fast and good with his feet that he was able to just get in and land. Like Margarito, when he fought Margarito. He, would, he was just, even though he gave up a lot of height and size, he was able to just get in and constantly land. And against Dugas, 
we didn't see that same footwork. We didn't see the same speed. And the result was he couldn't get inside and couldn't land. Yeah, even when he was able to get inside, sometimes he was off balance. And still, that didn't matter. He was just so insanely fast, um, even when he was off balance. So unfortunately, uh, yeah, unfortunately, once your footwork's gone, it's hard to, and you can't really get that back. You can't redeem that. So I think that was a key, big key to winning against Ugas. One thing that I always admired about Manny was not just the footwork, it's the fact that he used his legs more or less to launch himself yeah. when it came to power punches. It was like it wasn't so much the strength, like his power. It was just the fact that his legs added so much more momentum, the angles into it. And once I saw that the legs were not there, I'm like, so then that meant that most of the power wasn't there anymore. And at that point, first, I know you mentioned it going through the eighth rounds. At, at which round did you did that realization came in that you saw that? Manny, yeah, Manny's done. I'd have to say in the later rounds, when it was just like he was following Ugas around, but not really throwing anything and just flat-footed, was just standing in front of him. Definitely, um, definitely by round eight. I mean, it just became very obvious. He wasn't countering. He was following him. He wasn't throwing anything, but he was just getting tagged with a lot of punches. He wasn't really moving. He wasn't really fainting. He wasn't really trying to get inside. I mean, there were just a lot of things he wasn't doing. He was just getting hit with a lot of punches, a lot of shots that he wouldn't have gotten hit on, hit, hit with earlier in his career. Um, and he wasn't responding as quickly. So, you know, even in the Thurman fight, he was pretty vulnerable to getting hit uh, more often than he, did, than he had seen it earlier in his career. Uh, but he was still able to compete against Thurman because he still had footwork at that point. It wasn't footwork as good from earlier in his career, but he definitely had like glimpses of that same iconic footwork that we're all accustomed to seeing, um, which helped him get the win. But I mean, he wasn't throwing the left hand or anything. And there were points where I thought Ugas was standing in front of him and he could have, he could have countered very quickly with the jab or the left hand you know, a one-two combination. He could have done that uh, pretty easily, but just didn't want to engage, didn't seem willing to engage at some point, just looked frustrated and tired and gassed out and um, not what anybody expected. Now, Joe, like in the later round, in the later rounds, 9 through 12, were you surprised that Manny didn't try at least like one major rally? in the rounds to try to salvage, like I said, salvage the fight, even if it got a knockdown, at least I try to salvage the fight and maybe try to win it in the late rounds. Hey, I, the, the question is, am I surprised he didn't? Yeah, I am surprised. I was, you saw the frustration on his face. You know, for years we would see Manny Pacquiao get hit and his instinct was always, I got to rush in, because he had to get that one back. We saw it, saw it for years. Even when he fought Barrera, Morales, that was the thing. Is like If you got Manny with a good shot, he was coming back in and trying to get it back right away. Whereas as the fight went on, the last four rounds with Ugas, it seemed like he would get hit, 
he would accept the fact that he would get hit and then kind of reset and then try to find another way in. But he didn't just sell out and just try to go nuts to try to get the knockout. I think he kind of just accepted the fact that it just wasn't his night. And, um, and, I, and I think Ugas did a great job because he stuck to his game plan. He did a great job uh, keeping Manny at bay. When the fight was over, Francis, did it surprise you or anybody like that we were watching with, like how bad Manny's face was as far as like all the lumps after the end of the fight? Yeah. Well, not so much everyone else, but it, for me, for me, it did. We watched with people that weren't necessarily Manny fans. Like they they like Manny, but they haven't seen not like me. Like I've <laughs> I've seen all of his fights more than once. Um, so it was frustrating because it was like, ah, oh, you know, you're this is the first Manny fight I'm watching with you guys, and he's not looking the way that. He looked earlier in his career because they knew I was such a big Manny fan. They, they, uh, they didn't comment on like the bruising in his face, but I definitely noticed it, especially how the eyes were so swollen. Um, and then actually some video of, of, uh, of Manny surfaced on Twitter. I believe Jinky posted it where he couldn't even open his eyes because he had gotten hit so much in the face. Um, and I'm not accustomed to him looking like that. So it was, it was kind of sad. Now, Joe, like, did the post-fight interview immediate and then in the post-fight press conference, did it feel like this was the end? For Manny, like the actual end. Yeah, I I got that feeling. I I, I think uh, obviously he didn't announce his retirement, but um, I got the feeling like he realized like okay, this is this is the end. Ugas isn't the the top welterweight. I didn't do too well tonight. He's forty two. Manny Pacquiao's on his way to competing for make a presidential run probably next year. Or so. Um, I certainly got the feeling that that was the last post-fight press conference we're going to see from Manny Pacquiao. Your, uh, Francis, your thoughts in that area. Did you think, like, just that post-fight interview and then the press conference, do you believe that this is the last of Manny? Yes. I hope it is for him especially. Uh, but, yes, I do. I do think so. And... I think he knew it too, that just with some of the things that he said in terms of, oh, it might be the end of my boxing career. Um, but we when we die, we can't take anything with us. It was very profound and very emotional and not something you'd say if you were confident that you were gonna come, come back, uh, you know, for one last hurrah. I don't think so. I think, I think that, that, that this fight was, a great way to end his career. This is like the way to end it and the way to lose too. Like if he had lost via knockout, like a terrible knockout, um, that would have been horrifying, especially right before a presidential election, horrifying uh, to see Manny get laid out like that. But if he was gonna lose, this is the way to lose. And even if he felt defeated, I tell you the way that he lost, it was a big win. 
and he didn't get knocked out. He won, he lost via unanimous decision. He lasted all 12 rounds. Um, he didn't embarrass himself. He, he didn't, didn't embarrass he didn't, himself. He didn't quit. No, he didn't quit. And he, he's still incredibly respected, especially by people in the Philippines. He didn't do any of those things. So, but from his, from his speech, I think it was pretty obvious that he, he wasn't going to fight anymore. That's actually the next question that I had particularly. Do you believe that if he had won the fight, he would have announced a candidacy for the presidency of the Philippines? If he had won the fight? Yeah, perhaps. I think so. I think that he would have. Because I think this is that, that fight was somehow supposed to play into like a bigger plan of you know, his presidency and then kind of transitioning into the next step of his career, I think was the bigger picture, but things didn't go the way that he expected. So yeah, I think, I think so. Joe, did you think that announcement was coming if he, if he would have won the fight? I, I think maybe not immediately after the fight, but yeah, I think if he won, I still think he'll run anyway, but I, I think, I think like Francis said, I think the plan was that he would win, get attention, and springboard that into announcing a political or presidential run. I still think the run. I saw it a little bit when he when he started to talk about it. You knew that in his mind he wanted to say something else, and kind of launched, like I said, the next chapter of his career, of his political life. But it obviously, unfortunately. It didn't work out that way. And with who's turned out to be like a better political rival in Duterte's, kind of not running for the presidency, running for the vice presidency. I, think. I don't think he's eligible to run for president again. I think the only way that he could be involved is to run for vice president. The political system there is a little bit different than ours. The president election and the vice president election um, they're not, they don't run like together like they do in the United States. And that's going to be weird to me because Duterte seems like the guy, the guy that would literally, that would, that would probably just tear apart a constitution to stay in power. <laughs> but moving over vice presidency and hearing a particular person that goes by the name of Bonbon. Supposedly trying to run for the presidency, yet that it doesn't spell good news for Manny as far as politically in that area. But I'll admit that you you brushed up up on this, Francis. But I'm fucked. I'm sorry. The, after the fight, after feeling sorry for Manny, I felt sorry more for Errol Spencer, bud. Oh yeah, because a big think picture. about this. Yeah, yeah. Think think about this, guys. Like if he. If this Manny would have showed up against Spence, even right now, Spence, as we don't know how Spence is, or against Crawford, he gets knocked down in, in less than three rounds. Oh, definitely. And I know that's a sad way to go. I know and you didn't want to do it that way, but the thing that maybe Ugas is the one that takes that scalp. How, like I said, in the aftermath, I know taking the legacy aside, how much the, 
how much do you think? Because technically, he does have one fight left in the PBC contract. Oh my gosh! It better be against like some no name. <laughs> it better get be against somebody like. <laughs> I know it probably isn't. It's probably just like, oh, here, let's feed Manny to the wolves. Let's make that Errol Spence fight happen. Um, my gosh, I hope not. I would be surprised if he fights again. I hope not. The, the part about it is he has one fight left. And if you're seeing it now, his team, I don't think, is going to throw him against Spence. Depending on, on how Bud looks against Sean Porter, we don't know if they're going to be willing to throw him against Bud either. But, oh, yeah, no way. Yeah, but the bad part of it is we know what fight Manny wants. We know the fight Manny wants, and unfortunately, that one fight that's there in the contract could be the one that he's shooting for. Because if he's gonna go out, he's probably gonna want to go out that way. I just don't want to see it. <laughs> in the six years since it happened, I don't want to see it again. But it's there because they still they still talk trash about each other. Yeah, they do. But. In that sense, like I said, but Manny is going to be a difficult. He said he's going to give it to himself a month to think about what's his next steps going to be. Freddie Roach's already raising concern, saying, like, I don't know. I think this could be it for Manny. And granted, we know that Roach and Manny, their relationship has unfortunately grown cold over the past few years. If there's a situation where if Manny tries to to fight a Spence, but knowing, like I said, this is the Manny that we have now, who would be the who would be the person in his camp that would be the one responsible to tell him, no, no, Chip, you're done, you're done. Jinky, probably. Definitely Jinky, especially with her reactions in the in the crowds. I don't know that any, I don't know anyone else has the cachet to really tell Manny Pacquiao what to do. I don't think so either. Aside from Jinky, I don't think anybody. I think Manny makes his own decisions. The thing about it is that, yeah, Jinky is obviously his wife. Obviously, has a lot of sway, but. You have to remember, Jinky has wanted man has Manny out since he she saw Marquez knock mm-hmm. him out. Yeah. So her beating that drum isn't anything new. To me, if it's Freddie, if it, it probably had to be committed, it had to be Freddie, Samodio, and Boo Boy. They'll have to probably sit down and say no. And it doesn't it doesn't have to be as dramatic as when in the in the Cota Martinez fight like we saw what happened to Sergio Martinez in his corner when they threw in the towel. Emotional, like they didn't want to do it, but the guy said, No, your knees are done. I can't let you get hurt again. I think those three could actually talk him out of it. 
because there's there's other unfortunately other characters. Sean Gibbons will definitely want him to keep fighting because even Manny and his little group feeds pretty much all the Filipino fighters to him. But hopefully Manny sits down, and if he does retire, I know some people were talking about doing this. Would you waive the five-year rule on the Boxing Hall of Fame? Or that waiting period for Manny? You know what? I would, If there was going to be a fighter, it, it would be Manny. The thing is, winning world titles in uh, eight weight divisions, he was uh, he won a title in the nineties. So he won titles in the nineties, two thousands, twenty tens, and then twenty in the twenty twenties he competed. Yeah. So he's been competing over a four decade span. Um, fought all kinds of big names with Barrera and Morales, May fought Mayweather and. So so many big fights fought. He, he Oscar Dilla, he fought all the big names. Um, so if you were going to do it for anybody, it would probably be Manny. The thing is, I don't know if you do do it because we see more and more fighters keep fighting. We saw Tyson, we saw uh, Roy Jones Jr. Now we got Oscar De La Hoya who's going to be fighting in his late forties. So I, I don't know that you do it only because Manny Pacquiao, there could be scenario, scenarios where he fights again. That's a difficult part in many ways to judge because if you're not doing it for somebody like Floyd or like Joe Calzaghe, for example, like when both left the sport technically undefeated, and, but I know Manny's story, like eight division champion, obviously coming from putting weights in his pants to make sure he can make 105 pounds to just blitzing through all the weight divisions up to junior middleweight. But I know there's a case, it's probably an international case to make for it. I wouldn't do it. Unfortunately, because if he does run for the Philippines and he for the president of the Philippines and he does win, could you imagine a better way to go in than not just eight division world champion, the fighting pride of the Philippines? You go in as with the Filipino like military detail as president Manny Pacquiao. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah, when you say it when you say it that well, way. I don't know, Dan. Let me rethink all of this now. <laughs> Got one yeah. fight left. Maybe he should just take it. Yeah, but at the same time, <laughs> like I said, I, I have I have friends in the Philippines and Manny from at least from what I've heard. Manny is not really well liked politically right now. I've heard a lot of things like that too. You know, it's so surprising because maybe it's because I'm not out there. Um, 
I think he'd be a great president just because he really can't be bought. But just from the comments that I've read from different Filipinos on Facebook and such, that they're irritated with Manny's lack of commitment because he's juggling the fighting career and such. And that's just not going to happen with a lot of the Filipinos out there. Um, in terms of his views, I'm not so knowledgeable um, of his views and whether or not Filipino people, I, I don't know if he has conservative views or. He's, I'm sure he's conservative because he's very religious. Okay. Well, then he has conservative views. Does that mean he doesn't share Duterte's views then? He doesn't like people being murdered? Duterte is a, a little, not quite as religious. Maybe he's like got that like strict religious people on. Yeah, Manny went full blown. Manny went full blown born again Christian yeah. in a way. But from from uh, what I've seen, what I've read, Manny put a lot of his political capital behind Duterte. Behind uh behind Duterte, like oh, the main okay. part of like the camp. Okay. Well, it's, uh, that's crazy but, then. So now Duterte and Manny have had a falling out, right? So now Duterte is no longer supporting Manny's career, or his ability to run for presidency. Yeah, and like I said, there's been this undercurrent, unfortunately. I didn't notice it until actually a Showtime documentary pointed it out. That came out last year. There's this undercurrent of this, of the Marcos family dictatorship coming back. Okay. And that's what I mentioned. Like I think it's either his son or his nephew. Like all I know is that his name is Bomba. Okay. And apparently he came really close to winning the vice presidency last time. And it looks like he's gonna go for the presidency this time. And apparently Duterte was kinda backed by them somewhat, but that's just as a minefield of its own. Like Filipino politics, it's a politics that you don't want to get into lightly. Like these people, I've I've seen the documentary where you said people being blown up just for trying to file for candidates. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness! Yeah, Filipino politics—they're hardcore, man. Yeah, it's actually it was actually the first episode of Vice News tonight when it was on HBO. Like they literally follow a candidate. I was gonna file for candidacy, and they, he had to get a security detail because he was threatened with a bomb threat if he tried it. And I remember there was a politician who was taking a family photo with his family, and then got shot and killed as they were posing because the person who took the picture was able to get um, the, the the shooter on on the in the shot. Oh wow! Yeah, they're 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 hardcore in the Philippines, man. And Duterte, who's just yeah. executing drug dealers. I know where I get my fiery passion from now. I'm very temperamental <laughs> from my roots. Yeah, like, <laughs> and the reason it's not surprising us because among the three of us, like I said, we're either we're either Southeast Asian or South American, and. Yeah, Latin American politics are exactly the same. Mm -hmm. Yep. They're exactly the same. Like, and that's why when I saw those similarities and I started looking into them, like, oh, and like, I said, it may not actually be good for Manny because between 
Fallen Out Duterte. And apparently in the South, there's still this, I guess, this Muslim militia that still hangs around in the Philippines. And they don't like it either. <laughs> oh, wow. And that's that's just a weird center. But we're, we'll know in a month what he's going to do. Which, interestingly enough, is also probably around the time where Floyd starts getting that itch to fight again. Right. So, like I said, it's, it's that one fight I know that he wants, but... Okay. If he decides to fight again, right, before moving to the news, if he decides to fight again, who would you want as an opponent for him, Manny, Francis? Oh, my goodness. Not Errol Spence. Not Terrence Crawford. I, I would have him fight some nobody in the Philippines. That's exactly Put right. Put him in Manila and like a safe fight where he's not going to lose, where they can have his home country fans go nuts for him. And like the exhibition that Mayweather has been doing, like something simple like that. Let him, let him get a win in the Philippines. What about Conor McGregor? I'd be fine with him fighting Conor McGregor. I thought that was supposed to be. That fight wouldn't be in Manila, though. People would watch that. That, that fight wouldn't be in Manila, though. Make it, it would be it would be in Vegas again. Yeah, that's true. And well, who knows? Like McGregor has actually decided to train with uh, Reynoso. So hmm. oh, there you go. I hadn't heard that. So yeah, like it, it literally in the last couple of days, he's like, you know, what? I'm, I I want to actually go boxing again. Oh my goodness! Well, and he's like, so he. Decided to go into a Reynoso camp, which is going to be interesting because you have two alpha dog personalities in Canelo and McGregor in the mm -hmm. same camp. But oh my gosh, for McGregor's yeah, I kind of get it. It's it's the way to go. Like you're not going to be your best UFC days are done, and like the only fights that they probably want people want to throw you are probably. Probably less now because of the way he lost, but probably Masvidal. Like both of you guys are coming off losses. Big personalities that Dana White can mm -hmm. sell. That. I think so too. I think that fight still draws attention and still draws money without it being too dangerous for Pacquiao. If I had to pick a PBC guy, I would literally pick like I would pick Andre Berto. <laughs> I would pick Andre Berto. I pick one of these guys. Maybe, like maybe uh, Ghost Guerrero. There you go. I pick Guerrero. Guerrero. That's who I would pick. Guerrero could probably, could probably be the one that does the job. But if you think about, if it's the last fight, and if the if it's the last fight, and if you're out here and you're thinking about, okay, after this fight, I don't have to really. Type, quote unquote, bother with you in a sense. I could see him literally saying, Why don't you fight Boots Ennis? Or, Why don't you know? We want to build a relationship with Golden Boy again. Why don't you fight Virgil? Oh, not Virgil. Oh, God, Virgil. Yeah. That was, I thought the win that Virgil Ortiz had two weeks ago was phenomenal. He got tested and 
and reacted just like you want a young fighter to react. I think that would be a terrible matchup for Pacquiao. I think so too. This, this is the this is the bad part of it, unfortunately. Spence got surgery, and it looks like he's probably going to be out for at least six months. And yeah, he had a torn retina. But if you think about it, Adam Morris had been said had a scratch retina, and he hasn't fought since. If, if something happens in that area where Spence no longer can fight because of that. Either, if you think about it, like something that's going to be big, something that's going to have that big fight feel. You either, you either sit down with Bob and put him with Bud. Or you sit down with Oscar and put him with Virgil. Or you put him with somebody like Boots Ennis. That's the bad part of it because I don't think, I I don't think they're gonna pay as much money as they want to pay Manny Pacquiao. As much as it would be great sentiment, sentimental wise, for like that goodbye fight in Manila. They're gonna want every bit of that dollar, fortunately. Yeah. Now, let's quickly get to a couple of news items like. The first one that popped up actually, and it happened actually, I think earlier today or yesterday. When when we last talked, we talked about the WBA and the mess they got themselves into when it came to one of their judges and the fight that clearly everyone thought that the other guy won other than the people that judged the fight. Well, they've been on a little bit of a PR blitz ever since then. And the latest one, I think that, I think, yeah, it did happen today. No, no, yesterday, actually. Is they decided that effective immediately, they were retiring their interim belts. And those people that held interim belts would now be put in fighting title eliminators against pilots who they consider like the regular champion to become the mandatory for their super champion, I guess. Now, they've been promising this for how many years? Like two or three years now. Oh, I'm sure it's longer than that. I'm sure it's longer than that. Mm -hmm. But... Can you, Joe, can you see the WBA holding firm on this? Or do you think, like, in 2023, the interim I think they're just going to come back because this has been going on with the WBA for so long. They get their interim, they get the regular champion, they get the super champion, and it it just, every every division, they they have three fighters or three champions, and I'm sure it's because they can collect their sanctioning fee and... uh, but the WBA is worse than any other organization when it comes to the multiple belts. What do you think, Francis? Do you think WBA is actually going to go firm on this? I don't know. 
um, I don't think they would ever do anything that would surrender any type of money <laughs> uh, that they could welcome into their organization. So I'm actually surprised. They kind of, if you think about this, they, they promised this technically two years Did ago. Did they really? They promised two years ago that they were going to consolidate all the belts so they could have just one champion per division. And they and they magically let people forget. And in the meantime, I think they created the gold championship. Oh. But Think about this in the span of in the span of two three weeks, because of shaming and real world public shaming, they've taken this step. But the main way that this these things don't come back is if they're constantly shamed. Is if they don't have a situation where suddenly, like, oh, you. We need to have this belt because this championship doesn't go a certain way. Because their heavyweight situation is still a mess. Like, okay, Daniel Dubois was technically the interim champion. Now he has to fight to become mentor, but they still owe a fight to Fresh Akenda. <laughs> and because they still legally owe a fight to Fresh Akendo. They still need to find a commission that's willing to sanction Fred Sakanda. Oh my goodness. How are you going to fix that? Like, you can't just say that we're just eliminating this belt in that area. Can't we, we're just eliminating this while unfortunately being legally hooked for somebody to fight for that belt. Is the next belt to retire is to be the regular championship. And I think Okendo, that's that's the fight that he has to get. Like I said, that one, like I said, that one is just a mess. And But if it comes to a point where they, if they do it, I'll be glad. I'll be glad. I'll be glad that they keep it. Now let's see. Let's see other major news. Before we preview a couple of fights. Okay, actually, this one is pretty interesting because I thought he was already locked up long term, but I guess he wasn't. Edgar Berlanga, a super middleweight prospect, has signed a new two fight deal with Top Rank. And I think he's going to wind up appearing in the other parts of the of Lopez Cambosos, whenever that is, and appearing on the other card for the next Loma fight. Nice. I, are you guys surprised, though, that he hasn't already been locked up long-term by Top I, I think that's the new strategy these young fighters are going, is not to sign these super long fight deals. Because I, I think they're realizing if you really believe in yourself, you're better off signing one or two fight deals, three fight deals, and not going the multiple years that traditionally like a lot of fighters would get locked up in. I think I think they're and that was something that Al Heyman was preaching to fighters. 
not to get tied up for, with a promoter long-term. And I, I think some of these young fighters, we're seeing it is they're not signing these huge, long multi-fight deals like we've seen before. And I, the fact that Berlanga finds, signs a two-fight deal, I think is pretty in line with what a lot of the, the current business trends are. That's, to me, surprising a bit in the way because Top Rank tends to be the one that leans more towards signing M- More than any of them. They, they definitely want to lock up their guys. Yes. But given what, given like the way, like the Elvis Rodriguez situation, they're also putting guys in a much, much shorter, much, much shorter leash than they did before. And outside of right now, probably Shakur Stevenson, I think everybody's unnoticed with Top Rank because I think they know like they they can't rely on like their current headliners for much longer. But they're not gonna. They also won't probably don't have the patience to bring somebody new and build them up long term. Who knows? It may happen, but who knows at this stage? Now, let's see here, the major news, let's see here. Well, in the exhibition fights, one in the era of exhibition fights, one has unfortunately already been dismissed because one of the ones that was supposed to be talked about was a fight that probably we would have loved to have seen when they were actually more active. Miguel Cotto versus Juan Manuel Marquez. Yeah. That would have been it. This was supposed... I think this was supposed to be at... Welterweight. But it looks like... And this is according to Cotto himself. That they have decided to no longer have the fight. According to them... They just said it's no longer an agenda. It's not happening. It's over. Hmm. Now, granted, this said this was supposed to be an exhibition bout. What do do you, do you think was probably gonna was be the straw that broke the camel's back on this? If this was gonna be an exhibition bout, not not a fully sanctioned bout. Money. I bet it's about money. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why. I'm, I'm sure the COVID factor, the fact that, uh, it, you know, I'm sure the venue, that kind of stuff, gate, that kind of are all factor in. Um, it, it had it. It had a lot of interest, I think, because you get two boxing icons. You get. Puerto Rico versus Mexico, which is always a good sell. Um, I, I thought of all the exhibition bouts, this would probably be the one that was more realistic to actually happen. So of all the ones that get canceled, I was disappointed that this is the one that got canceled. Yeah, me too. I think what probably broke, because I know that with Marquez, this has been a particular thing of his. 
he wants his fights to be in Mexico. Oh, okay. And obviously Miguel Cotto, even in, especially in the exhibition fight, is not going to fight a Mexican in Mexico. Right. And not knowing, like I said, what's what's going to happen. Like we were, we were kind of lucky that we got Pacquiao Ugas with the crowd. But at the end of the day, luckily, it's probably a good thing because even if it's an exhibition bout, if one of them wins, people know what's going to happen. And they're probably going to want to fight some way professionally again. And that's not good. So I'm kind of glad it's over. In that sense, at least from among these two. Not all of the fights, though, unfortunately, are over with, which brings us to the luckily the only major card that actually is happening. And this is going to be on pay per view. Now, I'm probably only going to talk about, you guys could probably talk it up over there, but the only fight that I'm actually really really looking forward to there's a couple of them actually but i'll discuss those first and then we can see if we discuss what's technically is the main event but in the co-main event you're gonna have amanda serrano defending her super bantamweight title her bantamweight titles i think against a super bantamweight champion, Yamalith Mercado. And we know Amanda's always trying to do between going for the best weights, kind of like a mini version of Clarissa Shields. She's fought MMA, and she recently did say she wants to break the record, I think, Christy Martin, or no, Christy Martin Mia St. John for the most knockouts among female fighters. We know the fight that she with that Serrano wants in this sense. We know who she's gunning for. But would you guys think that she would have to have a flat out dominant performances to get that fight that she wants? Or would a good steady bout be enough? Well, Katie Taylor is the fight, right? Is that the one you're referring to? If she wins, yep. looks good. She gets the Katie Taylor fight. They had that fight set up before, and it fell apart. And it seemed like when it fell apart, there was a lot of bad blood on both sides. I even if Amanda looks good, I don't know if we get that fight. But I do love the fact that Amanda's the co-main event. I think it gives her an opportunity to shine. She's active. She's uh, got a crowd-pleasing style. I, I, I think it's a great opportunity for her, and I love the fact that she's the co-main event. What are your thoughts on this one? Oh, yeah, me too. I, I like Amanda Serrano a lot. I think that she really does have an action-packed style. Um, for this fight, I think she does have to look very dominant. I know that her titles are on the line, WBC and WBO, featherweight titles are on the line. She has to look really dominant, especially if she expects to face um, Katie Taylor, which would be a very exciting fight. Um, I, I'd love to see it. To me... She probably has she probably has to dominate because it has to be forced at a certain point that 
to make it say that Katie, no, you had to fight me. At whatever weight class up to lightweight. Because otherwise, they're going to try to position her probably against Jessica McCaskill. I like Katie Taylor, but I think McCaskill is too big for her. Oh, definitely. But like I said, they, they have you have to drive the point home. So I think she has to flat out, she has to dominate Mercado and make it a point saying, you can't run, Katie. I'm here. Maybe pull a little bit of that Sinisa, Sinisa Strada magic that she had when she called out Martin in that post-fight interview mm-hmm. that she had. Not so much the parking lot, but something similar. Now, there's also going to be some interesting some interesting comebacks. Uh, you're going to have, looks to me like you're going to have heavyweights coming in. Daniel Dubois and Tommy Fury, who had very colorful press conferences, to say the least. And see here, and then the other fight is going to be just going to be the returner, Ivan Vranchik. Who we last saw was the victim of one of the most emphatic knockouts I've mm-hmm. seen in a while. He did the mini George Groves challenge in many ways. And he's fighting, like I said, it's going to be fighting 10-rounder, fighting a local kid, Montana Love. And that's that's a very interesting card. That's a Fairly decent card, if not for this main event. Obviously, this main event is the other Paul brother, Jake Paul, fighting Tyron Woodley, former UFC champion. Hmm. Very interesting. Is it the... Now, uh, no, but I think it's just like the era that we're in now where exhibition fights are huge um, and getting a ton of publicity. Would you agree with, because uh, they did ask Oscar De La Hoya about this, do you agree that him and his brother could be good for boxing because it puts more eyes on yes. the product? And that aspect, yes, I do agree. And I think it generates a lot of publicity for boxing and it makes the sport interesting, you know, that these two guys with no boxing experience can just <laughs> generate all of this publicity and then somehow get to face these um, ex-UFC fighters or these, uh, you know, these fighters that have had a reputable career in either MMA or boxing. I think, I think that aspect of exhibition fighting, especially when it comes to the Paul brothers, is um is intriguing it's not that i think that they're very skilled or that they can't become more skilled as they fight they will become more skilled as they continue to train um i could not disagree with you more oh i did i totally think that they i mean you can just sit there and ride this train just like face guys that are past their prime that you know are not going to be as dangerous as, as other, I think they selectively pick who they're going to face. Like someone like Ty, Tyron Woodley. Okay. I know he's had some outstanding finishes. He's a great striker, but he comes from a wrestling background. 
that's a lot different than just going in there with somebody that has just been boxing their entire lives. Um, you know, except, except Floyd Mayweather, because I feel that he was a lot gentler um, than he than he could have been. But someone like Tyron Woodley, uh, yeah, it's, that's, a, that's, that's a threatening opponent um, just because he has finished people. He is still a good striker, even though he comes from a wrestling background. But nonetheless, like, is it an interesting problem? Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. And, these, and the thing is, is that the Paul brothers have such a following. People want to watch their fights. It's insane. <laughs> like, I'm not really interested in watching their fights, but so many people that follow YouTube stars are, are interested in following their fights. So I think that's what really generates a lot of publicity for boxing. It's not actually committed boxing fans that follow the sport. It's just really <laughs> fans that follow YouTube stars like Paul Brothers. And that's what generates publicity for the sport. I think you're saying everything why it's bad for boxing because it's not you're just getting these two dickheads off youtube fighting fighting people and is it bad? And, then, and then people think they're good fighters because i the only nobody way the only way it's good is if woodley goes in there and, and knocks this dude out nobody thinks they're good fighters no, if woodley loses he embarrasses not only himself but the mma community and then the longer these two youtube dudes like hang around the worse it is for boxing I actually don't agree. It only it only helps if somebody goes in and just knocks them out and shows like, yeah, this is real boxing. That's uh, well, I think that's eventually going to happen, but you know they're going to try to continue on, um, getting their fifteen minutes of fame for as long as they can. I think that is inevitable. That is, that will definitely happen. But they can't put them in there with somebody like Ben Askren. They've got to put them in there with somebody legit. Somebody legit with a huge striking background has like, I don't know, like George St. Pierre or something. <laughs> like someone that you know would be able to go around the octagon or the ring, I'm sorry, and trade with them and be defensive and still has a lot of power. But not someone like Ben Asprin. The, the weird part about it is it, it, if, like I said, luckily we're not discussing the merits of this fight. We're discussing the balancing act of what's happening. Because on one end, yeah, all publicity, the saying is all publicity is good publicity. And at least in the United States, boxing has become a very, very niche sport. And you're bringing in these guys who obviously have a big following on YouTube. Who are willing that who you don't have their personalities who you know are going to bring millions of people that probably wouldn't have watched boxing before bring them in and just see what they can do because the interesting part in this sense like they've been most of the time they've been on trailers or on youtube this is actually going to be on showtime so that's one aspect of it the other aspect of it is, number one, I'm still not forgiving one of these kid, one of these two. I forgot which one of these two clowns is because they, they're so interchangeable. How can seriously? Are we? We're still rewarding the guy who literally filmed a dead body in Japan. Mm -hmm. The suicide forest. Wait! Oh my God! I totally yeah. forgot about that. He went into the suicide yeah. forest, right? And then he. 
he filmed like just a very was it a short documentary? I don't even know what it was. I, I don't remember it. what it was. It, it, was, it, was a, it was basically a YouTube vlog where he just was being the dickhead to everybody in Japan. Oh, that's awesome. This whole thing like like doing the fishes, I guess, disturbing the fish market in Tokyo in many ways, but they were like laughing until I guess one of them decided, told them about the suicide forest. So he went <laughs> it and in the film, unfortunately they, they found they found the glimpse of somebody that did commit suicide by hanging. Now, that, like I said, that particular forest, it, like I said, it's, it does raise a lot of mental health concerns for Japan. It's one of the things they do like to avoid. We're rewarding this guy. We're rewarding these two with a platform. And unfortunately, the bad part about it is, yeah, you're bringing in fans who've never watched boxing before, but these are fans that literally buy into their shtick that they're great fighters. I've seen their fans literally try to say on social media that Logan Paul. Oh Floyd. my god, it's crazy, right? I'm like, is this a joke? But they really do feel that Logan Paul beat Floyd. And I'm like, no, Floyd was just trying to. Floyd could have done a lot worse. I mean, he could have like, really inflicted some punishment I mean, on on Paul. I I I really think he pulled the punches for that fight. I do. The, the man didn't even shave his head. <laughs> I'm like, he just had a scraggy little dome going into it. Like, you that's how little Floyd cared, yeah. other than the money. Right. But these are the, the but these are the fans that they bring. And they're being very careful with their matchmaking. Because Woodley, yeah, he does have a, a bit of knockout, but we all know his best days in the octagon are over. And bring somebody like that. It's finally going to be down. You're bringing them into a sport, and this is the bad thing. And well, the MMA fighters going into boxing that they have to fight their urge to not do MMA moves or similar style MMA strikes in the boxing ring. We saw with McGregor. McGregor was trying to throw hammer fists and had to be right. warned. That said, no, you had to throw punches, not hammer fists. So that's going into it. And the main thing is, like Joe said, pe people are going to want to watch one of these kids get knocked out. Oh, I'm sure there are people and, that are hungry to see them get knocked out. Yeah. But the main thing that the main way that's going to happen is if they actually step foot in the ring with a top level boxer. Now, both of these guys are probably what? I think super middleweight to sure. light heavyweight. Why not, like I said, if they're if you're working with Showtime, Jake, why not fight David Benavides? Why not? Or Logan, why don't you fight Arthur Baturbia? Right? Or shoot, even put him in there with Kovalev. Kovalev's kind of, you know, past his best days, but I still think would be stiff competition for either brother. Yeah, and that's... And that's the thing about it. that's the weird balancing act. Like we're technically rewarding. Let's. I. I have to. I do have to say due diligence. Only one of the brothers filmed the dead body in Japan. 
Only one of them. But it doesn't mean that their family doesn't mean that these two haven't done stupid right. things. And they have to do a whole lot to clear up that part. Because at the end of the day, yeah, pe people are gonna people are actually paying to watch this. And it's going to be the law of diminishing returns, unfortunately, with them. I think if they just keep picking these type of opponents that are not that technically far off from fighting, but we know that they're not really going to be a threat in a boxing ring, it's going to burn people out. It's going to be like, oh, okay, another, it's, just, it's another Paul Brother fight. And their teams are not going to feed them to the No. Players. No, they're protected. I, I am convinced. They're protected. They have people that are matchmaking these fights. Um, thinking about potential opponents that will draw um, fans in, but not be too dangerous to fight. Um, I, I really do think it's all a bigger part of the marketing ploy. And then, of course, who will accept the fights and how much money they're being offered and such. All very well planned. Yep. But we're going to leave it off of there, folks. Now, as he luckily next weekend, he's going to be a three-day weekend. Labor yeah. Day is coming up. And the last days of the summer. But if you, as we talked about before the show, it doesn't feel like it's the end of summer. No. And like you, like you, mentioned, you mentioned, Joe, like you guys are getting... We are. It's going to be 93 on Saturday. 91 tomorrow. Yeah, that's not <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> like today, today, today was 90 over here. So it's supposed to go down to the high 70s, but we all know right, how that right. goes. Now, definitely join us though next time because luckily we're going to have a pretty we're going to have a pretty decent card coming up on the zone in Emerald Petro Stadium in Leeds. You're going to have Josh Warrington trying to get revenge against Mauricio Lara. Obviously, Warrington, one of, like I said, one of the biggest upsets in recent memory, him losing against Lara. Late replacement fighter coming to the UK, trying to avenge that loss, trying to put himself back into the featherweight and super featherweight junior lightweight picture. It so definitely will be preview for that. And normally, we said we would get start getting hyped up for Mexican Independence Day weekend, but we may not have to worry about that obviously this year. So Thank you for joining us here, folks. Everybody stay safe. If you're out there, please wear a mask. If you're not vaccinated, get vaccinated. Because we would actually like to go outside again without PPE equipment. So everybody be safe. Have a good, good evening. Good night.